Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 282 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to welcome and give a big TKMR thank you to our new sponsor, Noda, powered by M&T Bank. Noda is banking built for lawyers and provides smart, no-cost IOLTA account management. Visit trustnoda.com slash legal to learn more. That's N-O-T-A, Noda. Terms and conditions may apply. Next, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bonds you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And Tom and I have noticed that there are so many new podcasts coming out, announcing their very first episodes. And we do like to mention from time to time that at 15 years in a, and counting, this is the longest continuously running legal tech podcast out there. So in our last episode, we took a look at the third pillar of our second brain project we've been working on, and that pillar is called Action. Uh, We recommend that episode. In this episode, we dive into a really fundamental topic that more of us should be making more use of, and uh, because the rest of the world certainly is. It's a three-letter acronym with great power, API, and it's a good topic to follow our Action Pillar uh, episode, frankly. Tom, what's all on, on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be discussing how APIs are changing the world and what our listeners need to know about them. In our second segment, we're going to look into something known as mediated reality, just in case you don't already have enough realities to worry about. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, uh, we return to the world of APIs because we've talked about them many times on this podcast. Um, No matter how many times we've talked about it, we still either get or see blank looks when we or someone else mentions that acronym to other people. Or maybe even more frequently, lawyers will tell us about something that they wish they could do with technology that actually can already be done with, you guessed it, APIs. So we thought it would make sense to revisit the topic because the usefulness of APIs continues to grow. It's growing all the time. And we really think lawyers should be taking more advantage of them. So Dennis, if that acronym is only three letters, the definition should be simple, right? Well, it sort of is. So API stands for Application Programming Interface. And um I I like to go just to Wikipedia because they do a good job with this. So it's a computing interface that defines interactions between multiple software or mixed hardware and software intermediaries. And it defines the kinds of calls or requests. So think in terms of requests that can be made, how to make them, the data formats that should be used, conventions to follow, and all of that. So that's, that's a definition. But I like this way of explaining APIs. So 
when we we as humans interact with computer programs, we use something called a user interface. And so that might be Windows or uh, the way our programs are designed. So think of that as the human user interface. APIs are the analogous version of an interface, but it's the interface for machines or code uh, to to operate other other programs. And it's it's useful, I think, Tom, just to blaze past the definition uh, point and, and just give some examples. So there's a couple that people are probably familiar with, but do you want to uh, talk about maybe one or two that, that people experience and, and illustrate the concept? Yes, but I want to come to my own definition, uh, or at least the one that I've found is more useful to me because I want to boil it down to something even more basic than what you described. And I would describe API, which application programming interface is, and here's how I like to describe it, a software intermediary that allows applications that otherwise would have no relationship to talk to each other. And it's more than that, but to me, that's the important part is it, it, it is a piece of software that stands in between two other applications that otherwise would not be able to communicate with each other and allows them to talk to each other. So um, examples. One of the biggest example that you will see is, um, and you've probably seen this before, is Google Maps. So um, when I am in another town and it, I get from, I, I get to the airport and I'm trying to figure out how to get to where I'm going, I'll plug in um, an address, and at the very bottom of that address of, of that Google Map, it will tell me that if you'd like to take a rideshare service, then there's an Uber that's five minutes away. There's a Lyft that's 10 minutes away. Um, I forget what any, any other rideshare services, but it tells me where the closest car is that I can get. That's because Uber and Google Maps, they're not the same software. They're two different companies. They have two different tools, but that is the use of an API. It is a software intermediary that allows Google Maps to talk to Uber and bring that information back into Google Maps so that it can be useful to me, so that I can figure out how to get from one place to the next using an Uber or a Lyft vehicle. Um, another way that I like to think of ABIs, APIs is just something as simple as looking at your phone or your tablet. And that is, let's say that you are reading a news story or you're, um, you see a website or there's a tweet that you like and you want to share that and you want to share it either via a text message or you want to share it to a Facebook page or you want to put it, save it as a bookmark. Um, you know, Apple with the iOS, they have what they call the share sheet. You have the share button and you can share things. You're interacting with an API as part of that process in order to get it from from wherever it is, uh, in a browser, in Twitter, in Facebook, wherever, to wherever you're sending it to, to an email, to a text message, to whatever, it's an API that's working working that way. So those are two, what I would consider to be fairly straightforward examples that you're probably using a lot these days. Dennis, I don't know if you have any examples or any useful analogies that we might want to think about. Yeah, so I, I think the, the other aspect is, is people uh, are probably thinking about as they listen to this is there is a form of standardization that's happening here. So you can think of APIs as a way to standardize so that 
what data is being used is put in a form where it can be used uh, by the requesting program, so that I've done an app, and by the Google Maps, uh, uh, Google Maps service by going through the API. So everything, so my requests, say the address or latitude, longitude, those sorts of things are in a format that can be handled and return that actual map that we see into the application. So there's a really great three minute YouTube video by uh, someone named Abby Cahill of Uncubed, and that will be in the show notes. Great three-minute explainer um, that's really, that will be really helpful, even better than Tom and me on this. But there are two analogies that I think can be really useful, and they're often used. So one is the electrical plug and the outlet. So the idea is if, if we go to any anywhere in our house, any building we're in within a country that we know that there's an outlet on the wall and we know if we have the right kind of plug, we're going to get uh, certain behaviors and certain outcomes. So we know that the prongs are going to work. We know that there's a ground wire, there's positive, negative, all those sorts of things. And we can rely on that. And by doing that, then we're able to move the electricity, uh, you know, from the socket into the appliance that we're using. And we know that it's always going to work. So we have that standardization. The other one I, I really like is the, the cargo container. So with a cargo container, we know that if we start by loading a cargo container, that it will fit and work onto the truck that's, t that's taking it. It will fit onto a railroad car. It will fit onto the cargo ship. When it comes off the cargo ship, wherever it is, it will fit onto a train, on, onto a truck, and, and be unloaded. So there's that standardization that everybody can rely on, and it requires you know, one side so that the person shipping the goods, they know if they have it in this format, in this container, the outcomes are going to be exactly as expected. And so if you think of that happening in the software world, that I think is a great analogy uh, for APIs. Well, and I'm going to add one more API because, Dennis, I have to admit, your APIs don't make as much sense to me as, as the one that I, excuse me, your analogies don't make as much sense to me as, as what I'm thinking about here. And, and the one that I see most frequently that resonates with me is that an API is like going to a restaurant, that I am in the restaurant and the server is the API. And I tell the server what food I want. And the server goes into the kitchen and he says, so-and-so wants this food and the kitchen delivers the food to the server and the server brings me the food and that's what I've asked for. I'm calling for that information. Uh, I'm calling for that food. The food is being delivered to me back where I am. And to me, that is, that's what clo is closest to me about helping me understand what an API actually does. So those are analogies, but let's let's talk about some of the common API usage that you see every day. Um, so you could be in any number of apps or in a website, and you'll see weather forecast and weather information. Okay, so that's that's using a, a weather API. 
Uh, you you will notice, I think, more commonly that you'll go to than than ever before that you'll go to log in or create an account, and you can log in through Twitter, you can log in through Facebook, you can log in through LinkedIn, or you can do your your normal email login. Well, those the Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn logins are APIs, uh, so. That's working through what you've already done with those services. So you kind of the authentication happens through the API. You'll see I spent time at MasterCard. So what you'll find you'll see more of these things are the pay with things that are popping up. Or sometimes you even see pre-populated uh, your your uh, credit card information. You just have to put in the, the CVS number. Um, so you see Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, uh, those sorts of things, Google Pay, uh, that will do that. Um, and then there's a range of, you sometimes see bots on Twitter or social media, or Tom, I know that you want to talk about the example of, of travel booking, which is like a whole universe of APIs. Um, well, yeah. Um, I mean, with travel booking, if you go to a website that is an aggregator, you're not going directly to the carrier, but you want to figure out how, where can I get the best hotel deal or where can I get the best airline price. Um, that's what your that's how your those systems pull all of that information together. They reach out and they reach out to American and United and Hilton and Weston and all those places. And they bring back the information that they get using those API tools. So that's one of, I think, one of the biggest, <laughs> biggest examples and biggest users of APIs um, because they're pulling tons and tons of information from multiple sources and aggregating it all in one place so that it's more useful to you. So if you move into the world of law, we're, we're starting to see a, a fair amount of, of API usage. And we see a lot in the, the practice management tools. Um, Avo has an interesting one where you can pull up uh, lawyer, Avo profiles of lawyers. So uh, you could get their experience, background, disciplinary history, reviews, uh, that sort of that sort of thing. So a number of things happening out there. There is some uh, access to court legal data. That's a truly promising area. And if you start to think about uh, these things in legal, if you say, if we want to redo the entire court system and standardize it, um, that's, a, that's a big, expensive process, um, especially during a pandemic. But if we, we were to use the API concept, I'll call it, where we were to say, if we can structure the data in a way so that we can use APIs, so we can actually make use of the data we have and have different programs and software communicate with each other in this, in a very essential ways to pull uh, the information that's needed. Um, that actually becomes an intriguing possibility. So I don't know, Tom, you, I don't know if you have others, one specifically in legal, but I think once people are aware of the idea they might exist in legal, they'll probably start to see them. But I think that probably the practice management tools are, are one of the best places to find them. 
that's the best place is the practice management tools who are integrating with the bill payers, with the with the e-signing, with the document management. And part of the reason why you and I have talked about APIs or the notion so long is is that we've always recommended, we've excuse me, we've always recognized that software is limited that's that that's really great software can sometimes just do one thing really well and it doesn't do anything else but the beauty of apis is you can extend that usefulness you can bring other things into it and that's why we have really talked about it so long is is that it really is helping out helping us make things more useful so you can within that practice management tool pay your bills or um, or receive bills or have documents signed or or manage your information but i i guess the other example i want to use really quickly it, it, what's intriguing to me is there's um, some products uh, some APIs out by West, and one is related to practical law, but the other one is is litigation-based, where they are, like you say, court access and court information, I think, is huge. And, and I was really intrigued looking at kind of a dashboard view where it takes a lot of the court information that that West might have, so you can see attorney experience or motion outcomes and cases by year, cases by court. Um, you've got access to court records there and attorney cases and clients and judge information. But what was really intriguing to me was is that it was combining that information with the information that the law firm already had about its own litigation. So it was allowing you to compare what your experience was with what other experience was was uh, being found across the country or in that particular jurisdiction. And so um, I think that the ability to do great analytics on your court information is really where I think that's one of the biggest areas I think that a a APIs are going to have an effect here and are already having an effect. I sense that that's more for larger firms right now, um, but I'm looking for the time where that becomes more commoditized and is something that, uh, that, that solo and small firm lawyers can take advantage of too. My reaction is I just see access to justice as those applications are the place where uh, the APIs are, in some cases, are already starting to be game changers. Um, but with the use of APIs, say that I wanted to do an app, so it, it creates this sort of uh, modularity, um, if I can use that word. So I could say, you know, I've created this app um, that I want to have my clients or others use, um, and it could be just a simple web app. And what I'd like to do is to have them be able to do signatures in it. And so if you said, oh, I just have this really simple app, but to do the signature part of it, or say like a voice recognition or something like that, that how many programmers would I have to hire? Like why, you know, how would I even do that? And I, if I am able to use an API, then all of a sudden that e-signature or that signature uh, functionality is right in my app. So that's one intriguing piece of it. And the other thing is is the flip of that. So I like to ask all the legal tech vendors I talk to, like, what is their API strategy? Because I want to understand, uh, like, what can they integrate me with? And so what can I, what if I'm using something, can I use their product through an API? Does their API, you know, allow their product to work easily with other tools that I have or, or maybe even uh, in, in within an enterprise? So it's really 
fascinating things there. And in the simplest form, Tom, I kind of go back to, I mean, it's that share thing that you were you were talking about. Or in the old days, we used to just say, hey, it's like a send to thing. Because a lot of times all we really want is this ability to take what we have and send it uh, to another program and work with it. And that's why you sometimes... Uh, we didn't use this example yet, but the If This and That and Zapier are also great examples of uh, making some APIs available uh, for, for certain functionality. So I don't know if you have something to add to that, Tom. I know we wanted to kind of take a look at maybe some of the potential we see in law. Well, Dennis, can you go a little bit more? I mean, when we were talking about this before we started recording, you kind of had a separate and different take on court access than what I described. Can you maybe go into that in a little bit? Yeah, so you have, uh, so what you're talking about is the potential of pulling out of the courts. And so I think that APIs is a way to get things into the courts and uh, potentially in consumer or access to justice apps, where if I'm able to say the court has an API, let's just call it, let's say it's the expungement process API. And if I can, if I can structure my data, I you know in a user friendly f- form, let's call it, um, in a way that uh, meets the API requirements for the court, then all of a sudden, I just you know the uh, person who wants the expungement can enter their data and it will go into the court system. So the APIs can help you going in and going out. And that's where I think there's some really fascinating opportunities. But I don't know, maybe we should just talk a little bit about how to get started. And I, I we kind of touched on that a little bit with some some really easy to use services, but I'll let you take that time. Well, we've and we've talked about this on multiple podcasts before, which is sort of the the old standby that oh my gosh, has it been ten years since that we've been talking about it? It's called IFTTT, if this then that, which is uh, the idea that uh, that if you do if a if an app does something, then another app shall do something else. In my opinion, IFT is the simplest tool to use, um, and I think that's I think it is a good entry level tool to kind of experiment with. Uh, with APIs. Um, Another one that lawyers are using a lot of and that's getting a lot of play as we're sitting here today listening at ABA Tech Show um, is Zapier. Zapier gets a lot of of attention. Zapier has great integrations too. I think that gets a little bit more complicated than IFTTT. And then I personally am a big fan because I am a Microsoft 365 fan of uh, of Power Automate. And if you if you use Microsoft 365, this is a no brainer. I would say use this over either of the others because you get this for free. And there's you can literally select from over 450. I think the total number right now is 463 services that will connect either to your Office 365 applications or to really what you want. So it's it can be something as simple as saying, I want a push notification when I get an email from my boss or an important email from a client. Um, I want to save an email attachment directly into OneDrive or into SharePoint. You can create a simple workflow. You can create a complicated workflow. Um, but it's not limited to Microsoft 365. You know, For example, Power Automate lets you also save a Gmail attachment to Dropbox, for example. So um, if you've got 
Office 365, Microsoft 365, I would say take take advantage of that first. It's free. You can play around with it. It can be as simple or as complicated as you want. But these types of services, we think, are are a great way to get started. That's an, another great thought, Tom, is that when you're thinking automation, uh, a lot of times you're thinking APIs and just getting a sense of what's all that's out there. Because when you were giving some examples, I, once you get to the smart home, you have all these things like you can... Uh, you you will know that your elderly parent took their medicine because the you know your lamp turns a, a light bulb turns a different color or something like that. So there's all kinds of things that are automatically triggered. And I just want to revisit our last pa- podcast and why we talked about notion, which we want to use as a basis for our second brain project. And the notion APIs will just be a key, uh, play a key role in our selection of Notion because we know they're coming and the ability to use that sort of share or send to uh, functionality to put things right into into Notion um, in an automatic way is, is really attractive. So the API Notion is very key to how we're going to use that. I mean, I guess, Tom, to wrap up, I would say, and I, I've said this for many years, and, and uh, I thought this all while I was at MasterCard working with our API group, is that if there's one area of technology that you should be excited about and want to learn more about in 2021, I think it I think it really is API. So I don't know whether I can convince you on that, Tom, but I'd like to convince a lot of people that this this is the one um, that that uh, really is is changing the way the world works. Well, you'll get no argument from me that it's important, but uh, we've talked about APIs in some format or other for a number of years. And like you say, we still get the blank stares. So let's meet, let's promise to meet back here in two or three years and see where we are and see if you say that 2024 is the year of the API. Uh, we'll we'll see where it, where that heads. So... All right, we're ready for our next segment, but before we get there, let's take a break for a quick message from our sponsors. You went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best, so you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Over the course of this podcast, we've covered virtual reality, augmented reality, real world reality, and often what passes these days for lawyer reality. And there's COVID reality and economic reality. And since that clearly won't be enough realities for many of us, Tom has found a new one for us. So, Tom, what the heck is mediated reality and why should we be looking into another form of reality? 
Okay, uh, I I initially found this and I thought this is a cool thing to discuss, and now I really think that this is just going to be a th- theoretical second segment, and we're going to geek out a little bit here and talk about what's interesting. But so here's 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 where I got started. I found this website. I'll put it in the show notes. It's it's basically just called "What Is Mediated Reality," um, but the concept is mediated reality, which believe it or not, is actually the umbrella term under which virtual reality and augmented reality fall. So it is an umbrella term for any technology that seeks to alter human perception via computer processing. Anything that is going to try to alter the way you see something by computer, by computer doing it. So if you're familiar with VR, VR replaces the real world with a simulated experience. Augmented reality allows a virtual world to be superimposed over the real world. So like we see with the Google Glasses that we used to talk about, um, you hold up your your glasses and you can see map directions over w- w- the street that you're on. Or, or there's a, a picture next to the a, a tourist attraction and it tells you more about it. That's augmented reaction uh, r- r- reality. But there's also... Mixed reality, augmented virtual virtuality, sorry, modulated reality, modified reality, and diminished reality under the umbrella of mediated reality. They are all variations on a theme. The one that really sort of interested me the most was the idea of modified reality because this is where real elements are modified or filtered to show something different or something completely missing. Um, so, for example, diminished reality is, is an example of modified reality. It's where technology is being used to hide real elements. So if you're familiar with erasing a picture in Photoshop, then that's diminished reality. But this is in real time. This is something that you're seeing while you're wearing like a pair of virtual reality goggles, uh, like we've talked about with the Oculus. There is one thing called severely modulated reality, where the entirety of the real environment can be removed. You can't even see it. And there are videos on YouTube where people seek to remove very simple things like arms disappear or a rabbit disappears and you can't see it anymore. It actually results in some form of sensory deprivation, which I think is interesting. Uh, What's the point? I'm not really sure what the point is here other than to say augmented reality, virtual reality, they're things we've talked about. I think to understand that there are many more other types of reality that are possible and that technology makes them possible. I feel like the that a lot of the realities we've been used to, virtual and augmented, are are some things that add to our experience. Um, but likewise, there are also other realities that subtract from our experience. Um, so I thought it was interesting. I thought I would just kind of have that. And I thank you all for entertaining my little geek moment. Dennis, I don't know if you, <laughs> what you think about all that. You know, it's, it's funny. The one that, that interests me was this diminished reality. And this is the one I can see could have application for lawyers because, and, and, and because it's a persuasion uh, technology. So if you think about it, you could say, oh, here's here's a room uh, with these things. And now we drop out the stuff that aren't relevant 
And so you could focus on the things that are relevant. And so that's what you see. So it's not as dramatic as Tom says, taking somebody's arms off, but you're able to emphasize by taking away the irrelevant uh, elements. So that's kind of interesting. Um, it also makes me think that science fiction author William Gibson wrote I don't know, many years ago that our real world is actually impacted and influenced by the the internet because we're we're always online and we can access things and that's somehow shifted our reality and so if you've ever you know you know the battery runs out on your phone or you forget your phone or something you know that reality has has somehow changed and i actually think after the pandemic when when people have this notion of back to normal, I actually I actually think that uh, part of the normality now is is our Zoom interactions and things like that. And I don't think if we took those away, they would actually feel normal anymore. So we are geeking out a bit, but I actually think there's something really practical and and maybe profound here in this notion of of this mixture of computer modulated uh, realities. But now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So the hot new tool or website of the past couple of weeks as we are recording this podcast is something called Deep Nostalgia. It is a website from a um, family tree site called MyHeritage. And what it does is, is that it allows you, if you're brave enough, to upload an old family photo, a photo from 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years ago, and it will use artificial intelligence to animate the face. And so you, you can go online, you can actually see examples if you don't want to upload a photo that you have, but um, it will, the face moves around, it smiles, it looks at you, it looks at other people, and, um, you know, what, what I thought of immediately was, I've never met these people. I never got to know them. Um, what would it be like to see if they actually were real people and, and they were looking around and smiling and, and, and behaving as real people rather than just flat images on a picture? Um, I am incredibly intrigued by how AI is doing this because some of them are, are not great, but a lot of them are really, really good. And um, some, it's a little bit creepy, but it is a um, it is a really interesting use of artificial intelligence. And even if you don't want to upload a picture uh, of yours, there are enough uh, examples up there to uh, to make it worth your while. So deep nostalgia. I'll put the link in the show notes. So that is like recreated history reality. That's what it or is. Something. <laughs> So I, I have this really uh, simple one. So I, we're always trying to up our Zoom games. And I think one of the things is, that's hard as a, a Zoom skill is to actually get the eye contact right. So to be looking in, in the camera the way that, that you need to. So somebody put this, this uh, thing up that got um, actually a lot of, lot of traction on, on Twitter that I, I thought was, that was great. And they took these little googly eyes that you can put on uh, dolls and toys and they, they glued them by their, the webcam on their laptop so they would see these little googly eyes and that would help them look into the thing. I haven't gone that far, but it did uh, remind me that you can take some colorful tape and that will kind of help 
your eyes look into the to the webcam and give you the sense of of better zoom presence so just a little tip you don't have to go full googly eyes but uh every little bit helps and uh in your zoom game and so that wraps it up for this edition of the kennedy ma report thanks for joining us on the podcast you can find show notes for this episode on the legal talk networks page for the show if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us on LinkedIn. Or remember, we love to get questions for our B segment. Reach us at 720-441-6820. Leave us a voicemail. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>